All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman. And today we are revisiting Friday night's preseason action between the Falcons and Titans to sort of determine whose stock is up, whose stock is down in regards to projecting the Falcons 53 man roster. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the locked on podcast network, your team every day. So guys, you know me, I'm Aaron Freeman. I've been covering the Falcons for years, formerly at FalcFans.com, RIP, still going strong, however, on Twitter, at FalcFans, and of course, the host of this illustrious Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, right here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And today's Locked On Falcons is brought to you by the Locked On Network live fantasy football show. If you have fantasy football questions you need answered before your upcoming fantasy draft, don't miss the Locked On Fantasy live show on Wednesday, August 18th at 9 p.m. Eastern, streaming live on the Locked On NFL YouTube page. Subscribe to Locked On NFL on YouTube now so that you don't miss it. And our stable of fantasy experts will answer your questions live, or you can submit them ahead of time to at Locked On Network on Twitter. So guys, today's episode, we're going to be talking a little bit more about my thoughts on the Friday action between the Falcons and Titans. Now that I have rewatched the game over the weekend, if you missed the rapid reaction, my initial uh, reaction to the game uh, from Friday night, of course, that was posted on Saturday. So if you haven't listened to the podcast since Friday, you got, you know, some explaining to do. You got that episode to catch up and we're going to be building off of that today. But today's conversation is less about sort of who played well versus not. You can listen to Saturday's show for that. It's going to be more about revisiting some of these players in terms of who played well and how it affects the Falcons 53 man roster projection, which we're almost just two weeks away from the team needing to finalize. And we'll revisit sort of who stood out, who didn't stood out, who sort of raised their stock, who lowered their stock uh, on Friday night. We'll talk about the four roster moves that the Falcons made on Saturday ahead of the 85 man cut down on Tuesday. And at the end of today's episode, we will talk about at least the most polarizing and controversial topic embroiling uh, Falcons Twitter today beyond Felipe Franks versus AJ McCarron and, and do the Falcons have a bad offensive line. And we'll, we'll touch upon a little bit of, about the whole Justin Fields controversy uh, at the end of today's episode. So you'll get my thoughts on that briefly uh, at the end of today's episode, but we'll kick things off talking about the four roster moves that the Falcons made on Saturday to, to get ahead of the 85 man cut down. They waived wide receiver Jamal Moore with an injury designation. They also waived defensive tackle, John Atkins, uh, defensive back Marcus Murphy and offensive tackle, William sweet. And again, that was to get down to that 85 man roster limit by Tuesday afternoon. And unless my count is off, those four moves did get the team down to that 85 man limit. Of course, next Tuesday on August 24th, uh, after this upcoming preseason game against the Dolphins, the Falcons will have to then reduce their roster to 80. And then on Tuesday, August 31st, uh, two days after their preseason finale against the Browns, they'll have to get down to 53 guys. And looking at these four players, Moore got hurt during Friday night's game against the Titans. I don't know exactly what his injury was, but I did see him limping off the field at one point. So again, being waived with that injury designation means that if and when the player clears waivers, meaning that another team does not sign him uh, off of waivers or claim him off of waivers, he will now go to the Falcons 
injured reserve. Moore's addition now puts the Falcons injured reserve at five players, including tight end Jaden Graham, uh, punter Sterling Hoffrichter, defensive tackle Deidre Sinat, wide receiver Jeff Bidette. And as I noted previously on podcasts when discussing those moves, if and when a player is put on the injured reserve prior to final cuts, it means he will no longer be eligible to return from the injured reserve during the season. I would also not expect the Falcons to carry all five of those players on IR throughout uh, the season. Oftentimes players that don't necessarily teams have long-term plans for like a player like Moore who was signed after camp started and this, you know, thus would be considered by many a camp body. You know, those guys get cut off of the IR with an injury settlement. And should the Falcons do that to him or others later this summer, when the final cuts are made, we'll discuss exactly what an injury settlement is at that later date. As for the rest, none of these cuts are surprises. None of the others really stood out in Friday night's preseason action against the Titans for Atkins, given the play of other defensive tackles up front. You know, it was fair to see him as a long shot to make the roster. He was pro football Focus's second lowest graded defender on the Falcons and the lowest graded defensive lineman up front for them. Murphy's quote unquote standout play. And I use that term facetiously came when he injured Titans kicker Tucker McCann on a roughing the kicker penalty late in the game. And that indirectly land led to a Titans touchdown a few plays later. Murphy was a safety in college, but he played cornerback for the Falcons on Friday night. And while Sweet was not the worst of the Falcons offensive tackles on Friday, pro football focus did grade him out better than Jalen Mayfield and Keon Smith. But the fact that the Falcons are going to have healthier tackles this week going into their second preseason games mean that they don't need to carry as many bodies there. Caleb McGarry, Jason Spriggs, hopefully will be healthy enough to play against Miami. Of course, Jake Matthews should also get action on Saturday at that tackle position. And so with those three Three guys plus uh, Keon Smith, Willie Beavers, and possibly Jalen Mayfield. You already have five or six tackles on the roster. You can roll with that. And having a seventh guy like Sweet uh, that probably was going to have a hard time getting playing time seemed a little bit unnecessary. And those that listened to my July camp previews as well as my 53-man roster projection knew that I had uh, William Sweet as a front runner to potentially stick on the 53-man roster given the injury to Matt Gano at the time um, because I saw him as being more talented option than Willie Beavers. But obviously Beavers has been one of the surprises of camp and while he was not particularly great on Friday night versus the Titans, I don't think he was awful. Uh, And with that in mind, in addition to some of my takeaways from a closer rewatch a second time around on this Titans Falcons game. I do want to move the conversation and talk about which players stocks are up and down in terms of making the roster as we continue today's episode. So obviously William sweet stock was down. Willie Beaver's stock is up and we'll continue that conversation looking at the Falcons offense uh, on today's episode. But before we get there, you know, in addition to checking out the live show on Wednesday, you should also subscribe to the locked on fantasy football podcast. If you want to get that daily edge, Uh, to help you win your fantasy league this upcoming season. Locked on Fantasy Football is hosted by Vinny Iyer of the Sporting Nudes, and you can subscribe to Locked on Fantasy Football on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. So BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. BetOnline gives you the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs. And there's no time like now to get started at BetOnline. UFC 265, as well as the Summer Olympics, are in our rearview mirror. But college football and pro football are coming up. And, of course, NBA Summer League and Summer League season is in full swing. And you can track all the action 
at Bet Online. Get real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine, including Arthur Smith's chances of winning Coach of the Year, Matt Ryan's MVP odds, Kyle Pitts winning Offensive Rookie of the Year. You can also get over-under betting yards on how many yards and touchdowns you'll think various Falcon players like Ryan, Pitts, Calvin Ridley, Mike Davis, etc. will get this upcoming season. And you can do so by heading over to the website or using your mobile device to sign up today at BetOnline.ag. Use the promo code Locked On and you'll receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's promo code Locked On to receive a 50% welcome bonus. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. So when I go back and look at my 53-man roster prediction that I had on the eve of training camp, I feel mostly good about it. I would make some changes. And, you know, obviously there are players like Hoffrichter and, and Jaden Graham that have been injured uh, that I projected to make the team and they won't make the team, at least in terms of the 53 man roster, but hopefully will be carried on the injured reserve through the rest of the season. And we know that injuries are unpredictable and there are going to probably be more injuries in the coming days and weeks in camp. And it's just sort of the nature of the beast. And so that's going to continue to affect who winds up making the 53 man roster. But as we already touched upon with sweet being on my 53 man roster projection and already getting the ass, it seems like every summer there's at least one player in the first round of cuts that I initially thought would make the team, but we can probably plug Willie Beavers into Sweet's vacated spot instead based off if I was to do a 53-man roster prediction today. So that's certainly one change I would make. I feel pretty good about the eight other offensive linemen I projected to make the team and the two guys I had making the practice squad in Ryan Newsel and Joe Sculthorpe. I feel good at least about Newsel based off of his play on um, Friday night, um, but I would probably swap Sculthorpe with Sam Jones given that Jones was one of the few start was the only starting uh, offensive lineman on Friday night that graded out reasonably well and was decent. I, I wouldn't sit here and say he played great, but he was decent. He, he, you know, he wasn't nearly as bad as the other guys, uh, the other four guys starting with him. And, you know, I think other than that, looking at my projection, you know, figuring out who's going to wind up replacing Graham as the tight end, you know, there's not a whole lot that I would change about my prediction on the offensive side of the ball right now in terms of replacing Graham. I feel like the competition between Parker Hesse, Ryan Becker and John Rainey, no one has really separated themselves. I think all three players were flagged for blocking penalties on Friday night. None really distinguished themselves as pass catchers. I had Hesse as my practice squad prediction at the tight end position to essentially be that fifth tight end behind Graham. Um, and I, based that primarily off of his familiarity with the coaching staff. So that might wind up being the tiebreaker, but we still have two more games for these guys to create some separation. Looking at the quarterback position, I still think AJ McCarron's the front runner to be the backup quarterback. And while I think, you know, Felipe Franks sort of shrunk the gap uh, based off of his play on Friday. I still feel like Franks would have to considerably improve his play next week against Miami to really uh, make it a really strong push heading into that final preseason game. You know, and I would caution people from overreacting too much about McCarron. You know, I don't think McCarron was as bad as some people think. You know, it's a similar situation going back to that 2019 preseason, that first preseason game in the Hall of Fame game where Matt Schaub struggled. Kurt Bankert came in, shined early uh, before getting injured. And I think a lot of people were basically saying, we got to get rid of Matt Schaub after that game. And then Schaub proceeded to play very well for the remainder of the preseason. Obviously, Bankert got hurt. And so 
that prevented him from unseating him. But then we continue to see Schaub uh, play well in spot duty later that season in the Seahawks game. And so I think with Franks, you're looking at a player that has that similar youth and sex appeal that Kurt Bankert brought to the table that caused Falcon fans to clamor for him to be handed the, the backup quarterback spot. And I certainly think similarly, Franks has intriguing potential, but as I said, in my camp preview, talking about the quarterback position back in July, I'm not quite ready to buy that he's going to be more than a third string quarterback in the NFL, even with further development, but we'll see what sort of happens the rest of the way. I think McCarron either is going to have to continue to struggle mightily with turnovers and, or you're going to have to see Frank show considerably more efficiency as a passer and better decision-making moving forward in these next two preseason games before I would think the Falcons would seriously consider uh, moving on from AJ McCarron and keeping Franks as that backup quarterback. But Again, we'll see. At the running back position, I don't think JV and Hawkins is as much a lock for that fourth running back spot that I think a lot of us were, and myself included, were talking about the possibility of him being. Uh, you know, it felt like Caleb Huntley showed a lot more of the explosiveness on Friday night against the Titans that we were hoping and expecting to see from Hawkins. So I'm curious to see how that competition uh, continues. The wide receiver battle is going to be interesting because. Of the guys that played, Tajay Sharp was the only one that was decent. I did have him making uh, it as one of my five wide receivers. I had Jeff Bidette, Christian Blake, and Chris Rowland as my three wide receivers kept on the practice squad. Obviously, Bidette is out with an injury. I feel like Blake and Rowland still on track, uh, but right now it's still anybody's contest at this point in time, and we'll see if any wide receivers emerge and play better in Miami next week. Um, and we're going to still have to have a conversation about all of these positions, as well as the possibility of the team seeking to find outside help uh, off the waiver wire for some of these back end roster spots, as well as the practice squad spots. We talked quite a bit over the summer about the Falcons potentially needing to go out and get that outside help along the offensive line, much like we did in 2015 when the Falcons made the trade for Andy Levitri and signed four veteran players and Bing Garland, Bryce Harris, Gino Gregkowski, and Jake Long at the end of camp. And certainly the performance of the offensive line on Friday night did not necessarily dissuade people of thinking that such an outcome could ha again happen this summer, but we'll sort of see uh, if that happens. I doubt the team is going to go out there and add, you know, five offensive linemen at the end of summer, but we could see them maybe add two or three. I think the main concern right now for the offensive line is primarily their depth. Depth. We'll see sort of what the conversation is about this offensive line once we see them go up against Miami, and particularly we see the starters go up against Miami. Um, but I think the fact that the Titans game exposed a lot of people to the reality that the Falcons offensive line depth is not great shouldn't be a major surprise. Willie Beavers hasn't played an NFL game in five years. Jalen Mayfield, depending on your perspective, was either a major reach in round three or one of the biggest deals of the draft. Longtime listeners to this podcast know I sort of sided on the former in that terms of debate and Josh Andrews, who was one of the lowest graded offensive linemen according to pro football focus in 2020, those guys aren't necessarily given those circumstances may not be the ideal options uh, to be backups for the Falcons in the event of an injury this upcoming season. And my point is, I don't know if that's a brand new revelation that people should be surprised by uh, now that we've come out of one preseason game. And we talked about this back in June when we learned that Matt Gano was going to go down with injury for an extended period of time, that depth along the offensive line was going to be a major concern going into training camp. And that's why the team went out and signed players like Williams 
Sweet and Jason Spriggs over the last three months. And we'll sort of see if the starters up front can allay some of those concerns on Saturday when they face the Dolphins. And if the backups are going to improve again, it's one preseason games. Folks may recall back in 2017 when Sean Harlow was awful in his first preseason game as a rookie and then played much better thereafter. And I know that name doesn't necessarily inspire a ton of confidence given that Harlow only wound up playing one game over the course of three, four years as an Atlanta Falcon. Um, but he's still kicking in the NFL. He played for the Cardinals uh, this weekend. He's um, and pro football focus graded him uh, pretty well against the Cowboys the other night. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things where guys can get better. I just basically, I'll preach not to overreact about the Falcons offense off of one bad game, just like I wouldn't overreact for the good game that the Falcons defense showed on Friday night. And we'll discuss the competitions on that side of the ball coming up on the podcast. And I do think unlike the offense, there's probably a little bit more movement up and down the, the roster and depth chart in terms of which guys stock were raised and which guys stock were lowered on Friday night. And we'll get into that coming up on today's episode. But before we get there, guys, we only have one more Saturday until college football is back. And of course you can check out your favorite college football teams, daily podcast here on the lockdown podcast network on the odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast, whether you're a uh, locked on bulldogs fan, locked on LSU, locked on sec, locked on Buckeyes, whatever the case may be, you can find that show on the odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. So did you guys know that built bar, the best tasting protein bar on the market has nine delicious flavors, whether you're a fan of mint, brownie cookies and cream, cherry, barcia, double chocolate, salted caramel, coconut, raspberry, orange or strawberry. There's something for everyone. And there's also the occasional limited time flavor too. You can try them all with a mix box and you'll want to, in order to get that healthy snack that tastes just like a candy bar with none of the guilt built bars contain 100% real chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew. Again, they're just like a candy bar, but it's not just about their great taste. They're healthy too. They're low in sugar low in calories, high in protein, high in fiber. And you can take advantage of this offer by going to built.com. Use the promo code locked 15 and you'll get 15% off your first order. That's promo code locked 15 for 15% off at builtbar.com. Today's episode is brought to you by rock auto and with ever increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer when you already have a computer with access to rockauto.com at home or in your pocket, save time and money when using rockauto.com, you'll spend up to twice as much for the same parts when you order from a chain store or car dealership. Meanwhile, rock auto's Prices are always reliably low for every customer. Rock Auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. They have everything you need from brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. And you can go explore their easy-to-use website yourself today at rockauto.com and find the solution to your auto parts needs. Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in their how-did-you-hear-about-us box so that they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. When looking at the defense, I would make probably a few more changes based off my initial roster projection on this side of the ball than I did on the offense. When you look at, you know, starting things up front, you know, Alive Sungapala was a guy I had projected making the roster as sort of penciling him in as Ty Tyler Davidson's primary backup at that nose tackle position. But I noticed how much on Friday night how much the Falcons played Marlon Davidson at that one technique defensive tackle, which is the exact same role that you expect from Tyler Davison uh, this upcoming season. And I was 
I was interested by the amount of four man fronts that the Falcons deployed on Friday night. That was a little surprising to me. Um, later this week, I'm going to go through uh, the film with a fine tooth comb and really break down the depth chart and we'll sort of be able to put an exact number of how often they utilize that front. But we talked about this with the additions of players like Sungapalu and John Atkins uh, after the draft that the Falcons needed to add a little bit more beef up front. And you can certainly say that that proved true on Friday night because of how successful the Titans were running the football on the ground. Um, but at least at first glance, it does seem like the team is going to be a little bit more leaning towards four man fronts or rather than sort of the even mix of four man and, and three, four looks four three and three, four looks uh, that I think a lot of us, including myself, were expecting entering the summer. And so it's going to be interesting to see if the Falcons still feel like they need to get a little bit more beef on the interior, or do they feel comfortable with the combination of players like, Marlon Davidson, John Kaminsky, and Taquan Graham sort of platooning with players like Grady Jarrett and Tyler Davidson moving forward. So I wouldn't change anything looking at the edge rusher group in terms of my projection. Moving on to linebacker, I did have Emmanuel Ellerby sticking as that fourth off-ball linebacker, but now I feel like Errol Thompson or Dorian Ethwidge are ahead of him. Thompson was the guy that did start at middle linebacker instead of Foye Olakun, who, by the way, that we learned during the course of the game is expected to call the defense and carry that green dot this upcoming season. And as an aside, you know, that has been a frequent topic of conversation for myself and many others over the last five years over whether Deion Jones um, would be better served playing that weak side will linebacker spot than where he has been these last couple of seasons as a Mike linebacker and watching Ola Kuhn play last year in his first real extended action and be more of that disciplined physical player immediately made me revisit that sort of topic, leading me to believe that Oluokun, Oluokun, I'm sorry, uh, brings more of the traits that you're looking for in that middle linebacker than Deion Jones does. And we'll see if that bears out over this season or not. For those relatively new to the podcast and don't really know my stance there, one of the things I've talked about on the podcast a lot over the past few years is that whether putting a player like Deion Jones, who tends to be a little bit inconsistent snap to snap at middle linebacker leads to some inconsistency for your defense overall because traditionally that middle linebacker spot is the leadership position of your defense often alongside a position like free safety and and so your performance of your unit as a whole can often reflect your leadership and it's not to sit here and say that you know Deion Jones is to blame for the Falcons defensive inconsistency over the years but it's really hard for your leader at least the supposed leader of your defense to sort of demand accountability from the other 10 guys on the field when he can't necessarily look himself in the mirror and, and or go about and say look I'm doing my job you guys got to do your jobs when that when you go back you know and watch the film you're like wait and those other 10 guys are like wait are you doing your job as consistently as as you seemingly claim to be. And so in summer, I think if Aluakun is taking over at that Mike linebacker, I think it could potentially wind up being a very good thing for the Falcons defense moving forward. But of course, we'll see how it plays out. Getting back on topic, uh, Errol Thompson and Dorian Etheridge certainly had their moments on Friday night. Right now, I'd probably give Thompson the slight edge. He was the second highest graded defender for the Falcons, according to Pro Football Focus. Etheridge, despite making a ton of plays, was 
not graded higher uh, thanks to some mistakes that he made in coverage. Etheridge was certainly flying around making plays in terms of being that sort of see ball, get ball type of player, which is exactly what Dan Quinn would have drawn up in terms of his fast and physical mantra. But in terms of instincts and awareness, there were some concerns for Etheridge that I noticed upon rewatch on Friday night. And I think it was going to be interesting to sort of see how this new coaching staff, we know how Dan Quinn would have felt about it, but how this new coaching staff figures in terms of what they prefer at the linebacker position. And that's an issue when not only when we're talking about Thompson versus Etheridge, but also Foyer versus Debo, where do they prefer more tougher, smarter, more disciplined players, which in this dichotomy is more Thompson and Foyer versus the guys that are really fast athletes and, and potential playmakers, which is more Etheridge and, and Deion Jones. So that's going to be something interesting to keep an eye on moving forward. Looking at the secondary, you know, I'll add that someone did inform me um, over the weekend that Kendall Sheffield's absence on Friday night was related to an injury that he's been dealing with. And that's my bad guys. It's hard to keep track on who's nicked up and who's healthy uh, based off of uh, a coaching staff is not particularly forthcoming when it comes to injury information. So that's my mistake on that one. Um, But my projection initially was that the Falcons would keep five cornerbacks on their 53 man roster this year. And that did not include Isaiah Oliver. And it does seem like based off of the first few weeks of training camp and the fact that Oliver was one of several starters that sat on Friday night, his grip on the roster spot is not as tenuous as I initially thought it would be. So if I was projecting the roster today, I would still project five corners and I would have Oliver making the team over Kendall Sheffield. And we'll see if the Falcons, you know, keep Sheffield, keep six cornerbacks, um, given that, that they've been pretty thin there, evidenced by the fact that how many safeties wound up playing cornerback for the team on Friday night. But one wonders if Sheffield is the front runner for that six spot. Maybe it's a guy like Chris Williamson who's been generating a lot of buzz in camp so far. I wasn't particularly impressed with Williamson in Friday night's game, but we'll see if he can improve later this week against the Dolphins. My initial watch missed Darren Hall when uh, I was watching on Friday night live. Um, But I did notice upon rewatch that he did get some snaps, a significant number of snaps in the second half. I thought he was fine. Uh, The positive is that you can say that he was very willing and run support. He wasn't targeted once, which suggests that his coverage was good. Uh, Although I couldn't confirm this because you don't have access to the all 22 in the preseason, as well as the fact that the Titans overwhelmingly ran the ball in the second half of the game. So it's hard to tell if Hall was not targeted because of how well he played and how good he was coverage or was, it just simply the fact that the Titans didn't throw the ball enough uh, in order to get those targets at him. But I'm saying his roster spot is safe, by the way. Don't get the wrong impression there. I'm just pointing out something I noticed upon rewatch. At the safety position, the conversation is going to be about whether the Falcons keep four or five guys. I thought there was a chance that TJ Green would unseat uh, Jalen Hawkins entering training camp, but it does appear that Hawkins, based off his solid play Friday night, as well as the early buzz in camp, suggests his job is pretty safe. I would move him into the lock category at this point, barring injury. Green, from all accounts, is beginning a lot of work ahead of Richie Grant this summer in terms of the depth chart at safety, and he did get an extended look at cornerback on Friday night 
night as well as the previous week as a replacement for Kendall Sheffield. I wasn't particularly impressed with TJ Green's play at cornerback, but if the team feels a lot more comfortable with him there, does that make them more inclined to keep one less cornerback? One of the things that made me believe that a player like Kendall Sheffield's spot on the roster was relatively safe was his potential as a special teams contributor and the ability to potentially be an option as a gunner on the punt team. But Green also does have experience in that area. So in a world where the Falcons only keep five corners, which would be AJ Terrell, Fabian Moreau, Darren Hall, Avery Williams, and Isaiah Oliver and part ways with Kendall Sheffield, Green's potential versatility to not only fill in as a cornerback in a pinch, as well as contribute on special team does somewhat mitigate that loss. And as I said on Saturday's episode, recapping the game, I wasn't overly impressed with Richie Grant's performance on Friday night. And my rewatch didn't necessarily make me move the needle in any regard. And this is not necessarily me calling Richie Grant a bust or anything like that, but I would certainly say my biggest disappointment so far of the summer has been that Richie Grant hasn't come out like gangbusters, grabbed the bull by the horn, so to speak, and really earned that starting spot at free safety ahead of Eric Harris. I know it's one preseason game. It's not the end of the world already practicing what I preach. Don't overreact to it. But I had hopes that, you know, Richie Grant going into the summer would come out here and be Antoine Winfield 2.0. And now I'm more leaning towards him being Thomas Deku 2.0. And as you may or may not recall, Deku back during his rookie year in 2008 as a third round pick for the Falcons, basically redshirted that year as a uh, backup to Eric Coleman at safety that year and played almost exclusively on special teams that year. And it, it seems like Grant, at least this year, is poised for a similar role. And I expect he'll kind of be tasked with being the team's personal protector on the punt team, a role that I was hoping and expecting Eric Harris to fill this year, given that he does have experience in that role. And my expectations that he would wind up being the third safety and a backup for the team this year uh, instead. But, you know, I know Deku is not a great name to name because I know he's somewhat polarizing to some Falcon fans. Uh, but let's not forget that, you know, after he redshirted his rookie season, he did emerge as a starter at free safety in year two. He was second on the team in interceptions that year, wound up starting six seasons in the NFL and making a pro bowl. So Deku was far from a, a bust in third round. Um, and I think, you know, if Richie Grant winds up only having a comparable career to that, I'm not going to lose any sleep and say, Oh, that was a bad pick or anything like that. I'm just saying, it's just another lesson in terms of mitigating those expectations, uh, you know, before you get to see those guys on the field. And, you know, my floor for Richie Grant was a Marcus Gilchrist who began his NFL career as uh, a backup nickel cornerback in 2011. So it does seem like Richie Grant's not going to, at least based off of the early returns, is not going to come in significantly above what I projected his floor to be. But again, it's one game. And if Grant comes out and balls out against Miami, you know, I'm going to be the first one to be like, we're back, baby. Uh, so the last little tidbit I will leave you guys with is, uh, you know, the controversy surrounding Justin Fields that sort of consumed uh, Falcons Twitter on Saturday. And I certainly kicked the hornet's nest on Sunday by talking about it a little bit more um, in terms of whether or not we can question the decision of the Falcons to pass on a quarterback at pick number four, like Justin Fields. And we debated it all offseason long. It was the number one storyline nationally in the weeks leading up to the draft, what the Falcons were going to do with that fourth overall selection. And as we said throughout the offseason, there were pros and cons to whatever decision the Falcons made, whether it was taking quarterback like Fields, Kyle Pitts, Penny Sewell, Patrick Sertain, trading back, etc. And, you know, the reality is we're not going to know if the Falcons made the right choice until three to five years from now. But what I noticed on Saturday and Sunday, on Twitter at least, 
is that when some Falcon fans, you know, express their lamentations, I guess you could say, of the Falcons passing on Justin Fields, um, you know, and that was a big topic of conversation based off of how people perceived his performance against Miami. And it was less about the people complaining about uh, the Falcons passing on Fields to me. It was more about the people, at least in my eyes, complaining about those people complaining. And, of course, I know people are going to say, Aaron, you're biased because you were one of the people that wanted the Falcons and thought the Falcons should have taken Justin Fields, which is fair. But I, I to me, the idea that the number one storyline in debate entering the draft ceases to be a storyline in debate post-draft is fairly silly to me. And what I kind of had a problem with was a lot of the gatekeeping that a lot of people were doing where I saw, you know, a lot of people saying like, well, if you love Justin Fields so much, then why don't you go be a bears fan? And it's a similar attitude. I've seen a lot of Falcon fans express over the last couple of months in regards to not necessarily being in love with the Falcons decision to trade Julio Jones. And I think the idea that you stop being a Falcon fan because you have the audacity to question or criticize a move that the team made is it's pretty ridiculous. Like, are you not allowed to question any moves that the Falcons made? Like if you're sitting here saying, I don't know if the Falcons made the right decision by paying Vic Beasley $13 million in 2019. Are you a fake Falcon fan? Or if you sit here saying, Hmm, maybe the Falcons should have ran the ball in super bowl 51. Are you a fake Falcon fan? You know, I get it. The decision was made. You can't do anything about it. Right. And there's no point ever talking about it. And I know you hear that. And you think, Aaron, you know, that's old stuff. And yes, I agree with you, you know, spending the time and energy rehashing 2017 and 2019 storylines in 2021 is very tired. But the decision that the Falcons made this past April in the draft was 16 weeks ago. It's not tired. There's no statute of limitations that says, oh, we're not allowed to talk about this, you know, four weeks out of the draft. Um, and I, I just to me, what's especially crazy about it is. You know, six months ago, back in early February, where the idea was really first floated nationally that the Falcons might take or should take Kyle Pitts number four overall. And and that first started to get traction. That was a very unpopular opinion and pick um, in the eyes of many, many, and if not the majority of Falcon fans. And now, like uh, the same group of individuals is acting like the idea that you're still questioning the pick today makes you a fake fan. Then why were, you know, then you're not allowed to sit here and say, Hmm, I don't know about this Kyle Pitts mock draft that I saw in the, in the first week of February. Does that make you a fake? You know what I'm saying? So, you know, years from now, we're going to look back at this selection and we'll say either Terry Fontenot was a genius or a dummy for making that selection. But the idea that you're not allowed to talk about it until that point to me is pretty silly. Or the idea that, you know, talking about it between now and then makes you a Matt Ryan hater to me, it's just dumb and juvenile. And so like, I'll leave you guys with this. My hottest take of the day, the dozens of smart Falcon fans that I know, the dozens of smart NFL analysts that I know, the people that I respect their opinion, I would sit here and say 99% of those people thought that the Falcons were more than justified to pull the trigger at a quarterback at four. So from my perspective, if you're the type of person that thinks taking Kyle Pitts was a no brainer and Anybody that has doubts over whether the Falcons made the right choice and you think that person's a fake fan or whatever the case may be, if you have no doubts, that to me says more about you and maybe that you're not the smartest person in the world. And I'm not saying, guys, if you wanted the Falcons to take Kyle Pitts that you're a dummy. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that if you're not sitting here going, hmm, did the Falcons make the right choice? If there's no part of you that thinks that, if no part of you is sitting here thinking, hmm, are we is there a chance that we might regret this decision down the road? Then I don't think you've probably spent really any amount of time thinking about. It. And so I do question your intelligence. I'm not saying that thinking that the Falcons should have taken pits makes you a dummy. 
I think you can take the, you can think that the Falcons should have taken Pitts, Sewell, Sertain, whoever. People are entitled to their opinions. What I'm saying is that if you think having a slightly different opinion than other people on a draft pick, where every single person in the world is basically just guessing about what that draft pick is going to be. That makes you a fake fan or you're just dismissing those people as Matt Ryan haters, whatever. Then I, I, I don't think highly of, of your intelligence quotient is what I'm saying. And so if you're tired of the conversation, I get it. You know, I would suggest stay off social media or muting the words fields, muting the word pits on Twitter, or just start unfollowing people anytime they bring up the topic. But as someone who has spent years and years complaining about what other Falcon fans tweet about in regards to their team, you're like, I'm well aware that you're, you can't control what other people's talk about, think about, or whatever the case may be. And so if you don't want to talk about it, then don't talk about it. If it, it, you know, I'm not one of these people that loves to rewrite the past and revisit the past and have this revisionist history about, oh, if we had drafted this guy, if we had drafted Aaron Donald instead of Jake Matthews, right? The Falcons made their bed. Now they're going to have to lie in it. But if there isn't part of you in the moments where you're lying in that bed, waiting to fall asleep, that's not staring up the ceiling thinking, Hmm, is there a different way that the Falcons could have arranged the covers on this metaphorical bed? Or is there another way that other people, if they were making up their bed would have a slightly different arrangement of their covers. Again, I think that says more about you and your thought process and how limited it is than necessarily it is about other people's thought process uh, and whatnot, just for having a slightly different opinion. So that's where I'm at it. Where, where guys, if, if you, if you don't want to have the conversation, then don't have the conversation, but don't be upset when other people want to have a conversation which was arguably the biggest conversation that anybody had this offseason in draft and just because the Falcons made a choice doesn't mean that you're not allowed to ever hmm did they make the right choice if there's no, again I don't get it but that's where we're going to leave it guys sorry for the mini rant at the end by all means later this week check out the live uh, fantasy football show on the Locked On NFL YouTube page and also in the meantime go check out the Locked On Bets podcast you know betting on football doesn't have to be a guessing game and you don't have to make those guesses if you check out the Locked On Bets podcast hosted by your boy Q as well as handicapping expert Lee Sterling get daily picks blowout specials and leads lock of the day by following the Locked On Bets podcast brought to you by betonline.ag on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts so guys appreciate you tuning in if you have any feedback that you want to provide me on anything I discussed on today's episode I'm sure many of you have thought provoking thoughts on the Justin Fields pick right which is kind of the point, but you can provide that feedback to me on Twitter at Lockdown Falcons, uh, on Facebook at Lockdown Falcons, or you can send an email to LockdownFalcons at mail.com. Um, there you guys have it. Appreciate it. Until then. I mean, let's be honest. If you're going to be mad at anybody over this whole Justin Fields versus Kyle Pitts controversy still being a topic of discussion this weekend, you should be mad at the Falcons, not their fans, right? Because Kyle Pitts was one of two first round picks this year that did not play in their first preseason game. Over 90% of NFL coaches were like, hey, let's get these guys reps, even if it's like 11 snaps, right? JC Horn was the other one, by the way, these were the only two guys that were healthy scratches. Other players didn't play because they were injured during the week or, or whatever the case may be recovering from injury. But like the reason why Justin Fields was a topic of conversation is because Falcon fans didn't have Kyle Pitts highlights to retweet and Kyle Pitts stat lines to retweet on Saturday. And instead they're looking at, Hmm, wouldn't it be fun watching all these preseason games to see our number one pick play? 
And when you don't have that, you have this sort of FOMO feeling or whatever the case may be. So like, don't be mad at Falcon fans, be mad at Arthur Smith, be mad at Terry Fontenot for making the decision that literally no other NFL coach or 90% of NFL coaches don't make and, and not play their rookies. That's my opinion. But Hey, what do I know? I'm just a Julio Jones loving Matt Ryan hating bears fan. 